recording the 200th episode of the show before the show podcast from more diverse <laughs> climates today, which seems oddly fitting for uh, we've made it through 200 episodes. And yet today, you know, for two guys who are almost always uh, recording from across the country today, it feels like we're recording from just the most polar opposite of, uh, of environment. Yes. And, and we literally mean like weather environments, not, not yeah. political yeah. environments, not any, uh, not personalities, <laughs> not anything like that. Literally I am in currently in Tampa, Florida, uh, where it was beautiful today, uh, a warm mid eighties, uh, Tyler, you are from the planet Hoth, I think. I am. I am this yeah. week. Uh, I can't. I can't get away from it. Um, I was. I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, for a broadcasting thing over the weekend, where it was cold and miserable. Um, then I get home to uh, lovely Denver, Colorado, the Queen City of the Mountains. And Plains, <laughs> and this is a nickname. We had. We had a couple of really, really nice days. It was like in the 50s, low 60s. It was beautiful. And then today, something called a bomb cyclone hit Denver. That's like the actual meteorological term. Um, hit hit Denver today, which involves something with how fast the barometric pressure drops and a cold front came in and it hit all at the same time. Um, so all day today has been snow, blowing snow. The winds were supposed to be between like 45 and 60 miles per hour. Apparently somewhere in Colorado Springs uh, near the airport or at the airport, there was a 96 mile an hour gust of wind that was measured. Um, so the, the Rocky Mountain vibes little bit chilly today um so there that was a nice minor (laughs) joke so it's it's miserable in in other words but i don't think we got as much snow as they were initially fearing so that's good and it's not dissuading me from maybe going out and getting mexican food after we record this because we're also recording at night which is a rarity but we wanted a prime time recording slot for episode number two yeah right that that's exactly what it is this is just a special time and a special hour even though it'll be coming into your feeds right about the same time that it normally does (laughs) same time yeah. as always but this, this but, has that know. feel like when colbert goes live on election nights and yeah. like you don't know what it's going to happen because you know he normally records earlier in the day even if you're saying seeing it at the same time like what could possibly happen uh so live television. yeah so right now it's it's, it's 9 39 in the east and uh it's not quite my bedtime but we're, we're getting close there so it might be a loopy episode <laughs> and with that, we welcome you into the 200th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Unbelievable. 200 episodes. Uh, and I've been here for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that says about me. Um, but this is episode number 200. We got uh, – I, I – dove in and and came up with a new sound for this week's edition of the show felt like we were getting a little stale with the uh the weird like kind of country kind of rock and roll intro (laughs) ditty that we had uh which we revamped for spring training two years ago so we got a new sound today sam's in a new location today sam's fresh off of a trip to mexico everything's new for episode yeah if i just sound tanner uh that's that's where that's coming from yeah as if i also tan like if anything that tans it's my voice and definitely not my skin it's not straight up burning i still have a a sunburn on my foot that is still painful to this day and i got it last friday uh Sam was posting uh, all kinds of things on uh, on the old social media, all these beautiful pictures of being in Mexico, and I finally just texted him, oh, shut up, Sam. 
<laughs> but uh but you made I it didn't back. make it back you went on a trip made it back uh you actually came through the queen city of the mountains and plains on your way to florida and then you have now been in florida well we'll we'll discuss that here in a moment when we dive into three strikes thanks for finding us wherever you found us if this is your first episode if this is your 200th episode with us which i can't imagine anybody has actually stuck with us for all 200 episodes but if it is uh i certainly think you deserve a medal or a hug from someone uh and you should get in touch and by all means please let us know that you have somehow listened to 200 episodes of this podcast you can email us podcast at milb.com but wherever you found us we thank you for finding us and for tuning in the official podcast of the official site of minor league baseball milb.com he is sam dykstra i am tylen mon you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription wherever you find your podcast and with that we'll get started with three strikes for this week's episode in which we tackle three burning issues across minor league baseball and uh first up sam in florida got to florida monday i, g- I got sunday? in i got Tuesday? into florida very late sunday night uh sunday immediately okay. went to braves camp monday morning uh i went to dunedin for blue jays camp braves camp was your first stop, yes you yes it was sam.dykstra at braves.com yes. i can't believe it yeah that's that's definitely why i went there is like I need to see the wide world of sports. You need to collect your right. check for uh, for continually pumping the Braves on the top of the pitching Yes, that's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, my grand old Atlanta Braves bias coming coming back to the fore. <laughs> your big get-rich-slow yeah. scheme by by just one time a year giving the Braves a bump in the uh, in the farm system range. Yeah, that's <laughs> Please if you have listened if this is your first episode, which God bless you if it is. <laughs> you're very yeah, confused. you're very confused because this is not a thing. Uh, we do every once in a while have old yes. jokes that rear their heads. Um, um, but anyway. anyway, all right, Monday you hit the wide world. Yeah, the wide world of sports. Which they're moving. They are. Right they're now? going to Northport, Florida. Okay. They're actually going to play one game there at Northport. Their last spring training game of the year this year will be in the new stadium. Oh, wow. Um, the people with the Braves that I had talked to uh, have not seen it yet. Um, that's not for wow. any big reason. It's just because so much of your day-to-day needs to be in Orlando. You don't have time to go to Northport. Um, but they will be moving. For the uninitiated, how far apart are they? <sighs> I I. I think Northport is probably about 45 minutes south, southwest. Okay. Um, but the, okay. the added bonus is the Braves are technically guests at Disney World, uh, which is funny to think about. But they do not own anything that to do with the wide world of sports. Um, they don't own the backfields. They don't own the stadium in which they play. They don't get money from that. That That's all Disney money. So if you ever try to go to a Braves spring training game and why it – or wonder why it's so expensive it's because it's basically a disney attraction interesting you're pretty much just paying now do you get free admission to the magic kingdom no 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 it's like 40 bucks do you think if you buy a ticket for one of those you get free admission? i don't think so i i've never (laughs) tried it myself they're just monetizing everything I wish my media pass got me into the Magic Kingdom. That would have made Monday a lot more fun for me. Uh, but no, they, so that's that's a really interesting setup. They're, they're I think, going to be very happy to move into a place that they can kind of control, um, that everybody there will be, I think, a Braves employee rather than a cast member, which is always fascinating to me that you know the people operating the elevators and taking your tickets are called cast members at Disney. But anyway... Um, so really fascinating environment there, but we'll talk a little bit more about what I saw, uh, Tuesday went to Dunedin with the Blue Jays. That's its own kind of an animal because, 
if anybody has been to Dunedin, you know that there's Dunedin Stadium, which is kind of a lo- lovely little stadium uh, in downtown Dunedin. Um, but there's no backfields there. It's it's an existing stadium put in the middle of a town. Um, not much space kind of fits neatly where it is. Um, but the spring training complex, the extended spring training complex as well, um, all the minor leaguers are about two miles down the road, um, which is really difficult talking to some people over there at the Blue Jays facility. They said they haven't seen some people from the front office in days or weeks um, just because they basically work in two separate locations now. Really fascinating from that aspect. I don't think they love it that way, but also you know, they've been in Dunedin for a long time. They've made it work for a long time. They're also renovating the Meyer League complex there. Uh, today, Wednesday, when we're recording this, uh, I just got back uh, five minutes before we started recording uh, from Yankees camp here in Tampa. Um, a little bit different of an atmosphere for that today. The Yankees major league team had a night game against the Phillies, which allowed me to catch some of the minor league games this afternoon, spend a little bit more time at the complex there. That's also down the road, um, about three quarters of a mile. Um, so, you know, it, it's easier to walk there, um, easier to get there. But it, again, it's not just turning around and everybody's in kind of one locker room or right next to each other. Uh, minor leaguers, major leaguers, potentially rubbing elbows. That doesn't happen. It's very separated, uh, very separate facilities. Um, so that, those have been my first three stops. I will be headed to Rays camp tomorrow on Thursday and then the Nationals and Marlins over the weekend uh, down on the Atlantic side near West Palm Beach and Jupiter. Uh, and that'll round out the Florida section of the trip. Um, so, yeah, so it's been an eventful first week so far, though crazy um your uh, your initial impressions obviously you got some stuff up on the site already there's a, a really good piece up today from uh from yankees camp um what are your the things that have hit you most the first few days yeah so um monday was actually a very good day to go to braves camp uh for you know a number of reasons it, it, i've started my trip a little later this year uh, which i'm grateful for because a lot of the minor leaguers have been there for a little bit of time now uh, there are times when I've gone in the past where, you know, you go to talk to people in the organization and ask like, oh, well, how does so-and-so look? And they say, well, he just showed up yesterday because that was the reporting date. And, um, you know, in time, I've kind of gotten to know how spring training works a little bit better and know to show up a little later. So, um, you know, I, I had a tool shed up on Tuesday about Trey Riley, who is a fascinating character. Uh, in his Twitter bio, it says nuke. So I had to ask him about that. He says it is a direct reference to Nuke Lelouch of Bull Durham fame um, and that he's been called that forever, kind of grew up as a gangly kid, uh, has always had kind of control issues, but also has always had killer stuff, um, kind of like Nuke Lelouch was, ended up being a decent pick, getting a good amount of money like Nuke Lelouch. Uh, And if you're sitting there thinking like, well, you know, Nuke Lelouch wasn't a good pitcher really in what we saw in Bull Durham. What Trey Riley wants you to remember is that he ended up making the majors. He ended up taking Crash Davis's lessons to heart, making the changes, maturing in the right ways, making the major leagues. Uh, so, yes, he's he's got his little intricacies. He, he's got uh, some control issues that he knows he needs to work on. But if he you know, if there's somebody's life path he wouldn't mind following, it's Nukalush getting to the major leagues. We know how few pitchers make that journey. Um, so that was kind of cool to talk to him about that. He, he's coming up to junior college after a brief stay at Oklahoma State. Read the story 
for more details on that. Um, but I also got to watch Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint pitch uh, Monday, which was a real treat. Um, Tuki Toussaint, I think, entered the spring as a real candidate to take a spot in the Braves rotation. And he pitched four really strong innings, uh, came in as the reliever. So actually, Kyle Wright made the start, and Kyle Wright hadn't allowed a run to begin that. His second pitch, according to the Disney scoreboard, I don't know how accurate this is, I don't know if it was juice at all, was 101. Uh, He never touched triple digits again, but that kind of showed you, like, okay, we're going to have to sit up straight and watch this. He struck out a bunch of guys using his breaking ball, which is really neat to see. Um, He said he struggled a little bit with his two-seamer. If that happened, I didn't see it as much. Um, Seemed to really work the command pretty well. Um, You know, talking to people, it seems like he's ironed out his delivery as well. Um, So he might be a a major league rotation piece as well. He came out uh, to the major leagues last year, pitched exclusively out of the bullpen. That was just out of necessity. The Braves are throwing as many arms as they could in the majors. Um, You know, he had one of the best arms in the organization. He only had five rotation spots. Throw him in the bullpen, see what he can do. Uh, A lot of people thinking that now he might not just be a middle rotation guy, a three or four. Uh, He could be a two or maybe even an ace someday uh, with what he is showing this spring. Uh, If you listen in the past, we said don't pay attention to the results so much. Pay attention to what's different. And again, when he is cleaning up his delivery, when he is throwing his breaking balls like he is, when he's adding that little extra velocity. And he was mostly sitting around 94, 95 uh, for most of the outing, that 101 aside. Uh, he's doing all the right things to become a major league starter very, very quickly. Um, and if the Braves, you know, we know that NL East is going to be wicked close with the Mets, the Nats, uh, the Phillies obviously making big signings. Uh, you know, that division is going to be tight and you're going to need all the wins you can get. And if Kyle Wright can deliver you one or two wins by being in the rotation in April, that could be the difference between a division and maybe even missing out on a wild card spot. Um, so, you know, that that's going to continue. He doesn't seem to be thinking he is pushing exclusively for a major league job. He's just trying to show what he has, letting the organization decide. And he's making them, you know, make a really hard choice. Uh, Tuki Toussaint, his results were even better than Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright ended up giving up a couple runs. Toussaint didn't. He, those were four scoreless innings for him. He's continuing to improve this spring, really making the decision hard again. I, I think he does make the rotation just because he made more starts last year, already has that experience. But maybe he's the four now and maybe Kyle Wright's the five. Uh, so that was really neat to see live on Monday. Tuesday uh, at Jay's camp, um, out of what I saw, uh, Anthony Alford is having a really exceptional spring from an offensive standpoint. We're going to be doing prospect primers this year. I have the Toronto Blue Jays, which normally is an exciting one to write. Um, but one of the ones that I am going to include in there is Anthony Alford at a crossroads. Uh, really struggled at the plate last year at AAA. Definitely struggled at the times he, he made the majors. Um, you know, We've talked for years now about how he's kind of a raw baseball player played football for so many years the athleticism is always going to come through but um you know he's behind somebody who would normally have more baseball experience for his age um but i think that excuse is starting to wear a little thin as he grows older but now he's hitting again this spring uh didn't exactly show it on tuesday but did make a spectacular play in, in right field just kind of reminding everybody that even when even on days when he can't hit uh, he is going to be an asset in the outfield, anywhere in the outfield. He was playing right field. I think he could be really good in center. Uh, if you're good in 
right. If you're good in center, you're going to be good in left. They could use him there in a pinch as well. Um, so, you know, he's continuing to push the envelope there. That was really cool. My story from that day was on Jordan Groshans, the first round pick for the Blue Jays last year. Uh, they think he can be an, a really good overall hitter. He was a really good overall hitter last year in the, in the GCL, um, which isn't always an easy place to hit, especially for high school guys coming off a normally full high school year. Um, he was one of the best hitters there. I, I think he was in the top 10 in both average and slugging percentage. Um, and, and he falls right in line with infielders that, you know, they are very high on Bo Bichette, Kevin Smith, Kevin Biggio, uh, going on down the line. And, you know, he split his time last year between shortstop and third base. What's going to happen with him in the future? They're still, you know, up for grabs on that. Uh, Gil Kim, director of player development with the Blue Jays, kind of reminded me that Bo Bichette, when he came in, we all assumed to move over to second base someday. He spent a little bit of time at second base when he was in the GCL. Now we're a little bit more sure that he can be a shortstop because of the work he's put in. And he he's seen some of that same work be put in by Groshans uh, to potentially stick it short. They're still going to let him split time a little bit, but don't be surprised if he continues to solidify himself there. Um, when Groshans and Kim were talking with each other about how the spring is going, Groshans mentioned how hard he is working defensively how much he wants to make that happen uh and how much he is buying into the system and, and talking to multiple guys specifically kevin smith he mentioned he's picked his brain a lot uh kevin smith we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago made huge leaps and bounds last year in his first full season jordan groshans going forward for his potentially this year starting at class a lansing that'll be really exciting to watch uh and today in yankees campus as tyler mentioned um, mostly focused on pitching just because I think that organization, when you look at the pitchers, it, it is so chock full of pitching. Um, you know, it's not high end pitching quite yet. Uh, you know, there's a reason why we didn't rank them amongst, I think even the top 20 organizations in pitching, but it's because so much of the pitching is so raw. Um, there are so many young guys, Davey Garcia, Ranzi Contreras are two guys I really like. They have just have to show it for a full season. They could be top 100 prospects i think by the end of 2019 uh luis gill luis medina two guys with absolute high octane stuff both guys you know 70 grade fastballs plus breaking stuff if they can find the zone and they really the yankees really 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 want those guys to improve their control because they're high on them they can make huge leaps this year as well uh you know Go go down the list. There's just young pitchers who throw hard in that organization. Uh, it's something they talk about with guys because they know, hey, if you're going to be successful in the year 2019 on the mound, you need to throw hard. What can we do to make that happen? What can we do to help you on that front? Um, you know, uh, Kevin Reese, who I talked to for the piece, it ended up being a Q&A just because there was so much there, uh, said, you know, we're not, we're not taking guys and adding 10 miles an hour velocity, but Scouting departments are identifying guys who can throw hard. Development staff is working with guys, making sure that they are maxing out. They are doing as much as they can. And I don't mean maxing out in terms of throwing as hard as you can and throwing 99 every pitch, uh, only to end up with a, with a shoulder injury, but maxing out for their potential as starters. Um, and, and that's going to be really interesting to watch. This is a different Yankees organization, uh, or farm system, I should say, than it was a year ago. A lot of graduations. Justice Sheffield has been traded. Um, this is not a top-shelf farm system anymore, but there are some seedlings in the ground right now. If they plant in the right way, if they grow in the right way, uh, don't be surprised if – you know, we're talking about the Yankees this time next year as having multiple pitching prospects in the top 100. 
and that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm on the ground for three days and just surrounded by baseball. It was a wealth of information. Yeah. Um, I like it. I also just want to go back to something you said very early on, the, the nuclear loose reference. I just want to put this in everybody's uh, brains to mull over. When Nuke Lelouch uh, completed his first start for the Class A advanced Durham Bulls at that point, um, there was a discussion between his manager and his pitching coach in the clubhouse afterwards in which they said he struck out 18, which was a new league record, and also walked 18, which was a new league record, which means that to record that we know of, only 18 outs, Nuke Lelouch threw 126 pitches. And that's if there was no foul balls, nothing put in play, no hits, none of it. So it was a it was a different. Time, it was a different time. Yes. Say. What what was his signing bonus? Uh, I think it was a million. Was it a million dollars? Okay. I think so. I think that All was right. it. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, I think it, I think it was. But it was you know worth every penny for comedic gold uh strike two this week young samuel there was news out of Dunedin on Sunday uh which caused a bit of a stir on the internet uh vlad guerrero jr who we have discussed a time or two on the podcast top ranked overall prospect in baseball according to uh pretty much every ranking service uh for the prospect game uh vlad guerrero jr out for at least three weeks with a grade one oblique strain the left oblique uh that he suffered in a game last friday um three weeks which means at the end of those three weeks Got to go to a, a minor league stint for a rehab uh, appearance at best. Uh, and then on to the major leagues, one would assume, from there. Um, injuries, you know, uh, Vlad said in a, a story to Sam, quote, I felt a little discomfort, but I didn't think much of it. So after the game, I went and talked with trainer Nikki Huffman. And so I didn't know how serious it was. It's not that serious, but I've never had that injury before. before. After the test, they told me, and that's it. Um, there is a, a lot of discussion around this injury, obviously, because the Blue Jays were already planning on holding Vlad down for three weeks or so until the, the service time issue had passed. And with the Super 2 considerations, he can be brought up to the major leagues and keep an extra year of team control. Um, Sam, your reaction to this and, uh, and especially being around Blue Jays camp, um, Vlad says, you know, he's going to do everything. He's going to work hard to get back. He's obviously very disappointed for the Blue Jays. It's a... I'm not suggesting in any way that this is a fabricated injury, but this is a an injury that takes a lot of pressure off the Blue Jays from where they were with if Vlad hits and continues doing all these things, how can you justify putting him in AAA at the start of the season for anything other than a, a bald-faced attempt to keep the team control for that extra year? Um, it's just one of those situations where it's it's no win for anybody the blue jays look to skeptical fans as though it's something that they invented uh vlad's hurt so it's obviously not a, a win situation for him kind of sucks all around your your thoughts yeah on i mean i think that that last sentence is basically where i'm at because i i do want to blow out all the conspiracy theories on this um you know, it's easy to for people to comment on our facebook posts about it or at us and say you know hey this, this Vlad, you're injured. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Uh, but no, he he looked like a guy who was dejected, who you know knows what his body is feeling, and he was very forthright in saying he went to the trainer. This isn't something like they said, "Oh, hey, your your side looks wrong." He's like, "No, it doesn't." Uh, it's something he was proactive about, which you want. You don't want a young player. This is a guy who's only going to turn 20 on March 16th. 
Um, you don't want them fighting through injuries in the spring uh, only to get more hurt. I mean, that's what Charlie Montoyo said, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, that's how these types of injuries go from a grade one strain to a grade two strain. And then all of a sudden you're out a month and a month without Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to hurt. Um, you know, this is a guy who's who's gone through injuries before. He missed time last year with a knee injury. Um, he knows what what it's like. And, he, you know, he may not have gone through an oblique strain like you mentioned, Tyler, in that quote. But, uh, you know, he... He knows the game. He knows that injuries are going to happen, and he's going to do everything in his power to get back uh, at the right time. Now, three weeks sounds bad. If it was May, that would be bad. The fact that it's March, I'm not too worried about. Um, what I do think is interesting is Montoya said, "Yo, he's going to be 100% before he starts doing anything. Um, so three weeks would put him about the end of March for resuming baseball activities. And then, as we know, opening day uh, for the – for the minor leagues is April 4th. Um, so can he get game ready in a week? I would say so. I, I, I'd, it, you know, without knowing his full health right now, other than what the team has told us, um, I would imagine he's going to be in a Buffalo uniform on opening day. Um, but the idea that the team would do this for, you know, service time reasons and just make up an excuse is, uh, is just a conspiracy theory I'm not going to buy into. And, um, you know, you want Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to play. You want him on the field as much as you can. You want him growing because it's still in the best interest of this organization to have him continuing to show off his skills, putting him literally on the shelf. Uh, well, not literally, figuratively on the shelf, I should say, before <laughs> anybody gets mad at me for that. Uh, figuratively on the shelf for three weeks in the name of getting an extra year in the mid-2020s um, wouldn't make a lick of sense. Uh, letting him play for three three weeks, okay, in Buffalo, like it's a bad situation and I don't like it. I don't like the way the CBA works in that way, but um, at least he's still playing. At least he's being able to show that, yes, I am major league ready. He can't do that if he's hurt. He is legitimately hurt. Uh, another conspiracy theory I kind of want to blow up about this is there's been a lot of talk as people start to look at Vlad more, um, how big he is. And, you know, that's always been a thing I think we've always mentioned, Tyler, is that he he yeah. is a big guy. He's listed, listed at a 250. Um, probably a little bit bigger than that, let's be honest. Uh, there's always been questions about whether he's going to stick at third base because of his size. Um, he's worked hard at third base. I think he's, you know, like Bo Bichette, a little bit more tied to the position now than in what he was when he was at Class A Lansing, let's say. But, yeah, he's, he's a big boy and – uh, I don't want to say big boy. He's 19 years old going on 20. He's a big man. Um, but everybody starts to think, well, this is obviously speaks to his conditioning. And he, he, you know, it's his size that led to this injury. No, that's not it. It's it's spring. Injuries happen to all sorts of players of all different sizes. Um, you know, it, it was on a swing. It's kind of a freak injury. Those things happen. If you've ever, you know, when walking down the street and all of a sudden your calf feels weird, it's not because of your weight that that happens. Sometimes freak things happen. Um, so let's not like fat shame Vlad Jr. for for this and say like, oh, we got to call into question his conditioning. Uh, his conditioning allowed him to hit 381 last year. The guy is a very, very good baseball player in all facets other than maybe speed. Um, you know, 
this type, a grade one strain is going to happen to anybody. Uh, let's not blow this out of proportion just because he is so under a microscope these days. I think what he's done really well, at least in his public comments, is acknowledging that it's an injury. Injuries happen. I'm going to clear the hurdle. I'm going to do what it need needs to do. It, this is a normal thing. Injuries happen. It's normal. It's fine. Um, and, and go from there. Um, so, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. I really would have loved to see him play. Tuesday. Uh, one of the things I was looking forward to on this trip was just seeing Vlad Jr. batting practice. Obviously, didn't get that chance. I'm okay with it. It's fine. Uh, if he is in, oh, if he is in the Buffalo lineup on opening day, it's almost like none of this ever happened. Um, it's just it's a bummer for the next three weeks. But other than that, I think it's going to be a very small footnote in what should be still a very big 2019 season for Vlad Jr. And strike through this week, uh, reassignments and options and uh, all kinds of moves to send top prospects down to minor league camp ahead of uh, the run-up to opening day in the minor leagues. Those have begun all across the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League today. Uh, the Chicago White Sox optioned uh, their top prospect, Eloy Jimenez, to AAA Charlotte. Uh, Third-ranked Dylan Cease goes down as well. Luis Robert. The fourth-ranked prospect in that organization, he was reassigned to minor league camp. That's kind of a, an example of how these moves go. You'll see a guy or two guys optioned. Uh, some other guys are reassigned. There are uh, differing transaction parameters for those types of things. Um, Sam, from from your perspective, uh, what stands out most among the reassignments and the options and all that stuff so far? Eloy Jimenez was in much the same category, I think, as Vlad in that there was discussion, perhaps, would he be ready to join the Major League team uh, out of spring training? It wasn't going to happen anyway because of the service time situation. Uh, but with these moves and, and elsewhere across the top prospect landscape, what sticks out to Yeah, you? I mean – I want to say it's the timing. I mean, I, I would have loved for Eloy Jimenez and uh, Forrest Whitley to have stuck around a lot longer. And also Kyle Tucker uh, with the Astros. I think those are guys who will be big major league pieces. And I would like them to be around major league camp for as long as possible, get acclimated to that atmosphere. Uh, you know, you talk to anybody who's a non-roster invitee and they say it's just a different place. It's, it's you know, you look around and you see all the talent in one room and there's so many guys to turn to and that's so much an invaluable experience. Uh, to see it cut short like this is, is kind of unfortunate, but there is a reason behind the timing of that. Uh, a lot of teams are starting to play minor league games. And, you know, if you, you know, we just mentioned this with Vlad Jr. Um, you want him playing, you want him ramping up. And, you know, in major league camp, there might not be the opportunities for these guys. Uh, Forrest Whitley, by moving to minor league camp, is no longer just going to be, you know, a guy who's brought in after Justin Verlander, something like that, as he's done this spring, he's going to be making starts, uh, you know, three, four inning starts uh, in minor league games for spring training. And that's what he needs. He doesn't need to be sitting in a bullpen. He needs to be lengthening himself out. Um, so that's why that happens. Eloy, this is going to get him a chance to, you know, not play every day, but play every other day or so. Um, and, and he's had his struggles this spring. Uh, nothing he's worried about, nothing anybody at home should be worried about for sure. Um, but, you know, if, if you're trying to push for the team, this isn't the spring he would have hoped for necessarily uh, as of right now or as of, you know, right before he got sent down. He, he was four for 26 with a homer. So that was a 154 average in nine games. Um, not great, not worrisome whatsoever. You know, nine game stretches are what they are, uh, especially when you're coming off a long off offseason. Um, you know, he'll need time to 
get those at bats and that's what he's going to end up doing um so yeah it is unfortunate but if you need a reprieve from that if, if you're looking at that and saying oh man i w- wish you know forrest whitley would be making his major league de- league debut as the number five starter for the houston astros uh, I did do this tool shed on Friday that I think was kind of fun, actually, on uh, when I think top 100 prospects will make their debuts. So Kyle Tucker's not on this list because he debuted last season. Uh, a lot of those Braves pitchers you know, that we mentioned, Kyle Wright, Tukey Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, um, they will not be on this list because they debuted last year. But you know, when do I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez are going to see the majors in April. I mean, that's just what we've all agreed on. I think that's when it's going to happen. The one I did choose, and we still don't have any closure on this, so as long as it happens, as as long as he's still in camp, could still be an option, is Nick Senzel with the Reds. Um, Seems to be a lot of indications that he will be the center fielder. I know he's battled a little bit of muscle injury, of late and that's kind of holding him out and the, the less time he's he's not on the field the less time he can show that he's major league ready as a hitter and as a center fielder but the reds seem to be all in and again you know if you're trying to push for a tough division which the nl central should be it should be a competitive division uh maybe even one through five that competitive uh those wins in april that you could be getting with nick senzel and in march you know those couple days in march uh, they will matter at the end of the season. So have your best talent out when they're when they're ready. Uh, he's looking ready when he's on the field this spring. I think he'll make the team in March. Uh, I thought that as of last week. We'll have to see w- what he does here in the next couple of weeks. But that'll be really cool. Um, some of the other cuts. I think Forrest Whitley will be up in May. Um, Tyler mentioned Super Two before. Super Two cutoff is usually around June. So yeah, there's a potential the Astros could hold him down. But everybody agrees, and Asher's brass included, he is one of their best, five best pitchers in the organization. He just needs innings. He just needs to show that in the minor league level. Um, but if his stuff takes off in April and May, and, uh, you know, again, he's kind of a kitchen sink pitcher with velocity as well. Uh, just has so many pitches he can throw at you. Uh, it's, it's almost going to be a waste of his time to have AAA or AA hitters continually whiffing and not touching his stuff. Um, let him make the majors. I could see that happening in May. Could also see Fernando Tatis Jr., who I think is still in camp. I don't think he's been reassigned yet. Uh, I think, no, I don't yeah, think he so. could be up in May. Um, so, you know, it, as as these stories start to pour in, and we're going to have more and more of them on the site in the next couple of days, again, as minor league games pick up uh, and more opportunities for these guys uh, start to abound, revisit this story and just be remembered that, you know, th- Yes, they're being sent down now. Their major league debuts likely aren't far off. And uh, we'll be talking about them more and more as the months to, uh, to come, just to as they build their major league readiness with games in the minor league level. So that is three strikes for the 200th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. And Sam uh, has our interview subject. Yeah, kind of building off what we just said uh, about non-roster invitees, I wanted to grab somebody in Yankees camp who had gone through that process and, and who is now back in minor league camp. And that's number eight Yankees prospect, Trevor Steffen. We talked about that, you know, what it was like getting the non-roster invite. His actually came really late in the process. I think it was a surprise when the Yankees announced their NRIs and he wasn't initially on it after finishing the year at double A Trenton last year. Uh, he talked about how he found out about it, what he had to do from there. Uh, and one thing I just want to note before we get into the interview I do ask him at one point, 
had you ever been to New York City and I forgot that he pitched for Staten Island? He corrected me and did it very politely, as you'll hear. But anybody who lives in Staten Island, and I know we have a couple of those on the MILB staff, I do consider it part of New York City. That was not me slighting <laughs> Staten Island and be like, well, you haven't been to New York City. You just pet pitched at staten island no i just i forgot about that in my research he, he definitely pitched there um that's on me i'm not trying to slight anybody but anyways it was a very enjoyable interview um and yeah he's our interview subject for episode number 200 uh that's number eight prospect in the new york yankee system system trevor step So this is your your second spring, right? Yeah, second. Yeah, spring, full, yeah. yeah, second full yeah. spring training. So how does this compare to last year? Uh, it's a little different. I got to go across the street for a little bit, so that was a uh, right. that was a good experience. Getting to hang with all the guys in the big leagues, you know, learn from them. That was fun. But uh, as far as second spring training goes, just kind of first one, you didn't know what to expect. You just heard stories, you know, kind of like based it off of that, how to get ready. And then I feel like I didn't throw enough coming into last spring training. So this one, I made sure I was just a few weeks ahead of where I wanted to be. Mm. So that was a, just making an adjustment there. Yeah, when did you start throwing then? Uh, I threw all off season, but like I didn't touch a mound until I got a couple weeks before coming out here. Okay. So I took four months off from throwing off the mound. Right, yeah, and you, you mentioned your time across the street. What, what was your biggest takeaway from being a non-roster invitee? Biggest takeaway? Uh, just seeing how professional the guys were, like how they uh, took care of themselves, like what it what it means to be a professional over there, and how they handle themselves and going about the same the things they do the same way. Hmm. What's something then you've carried over? Like what what was professional that maybe something you weren't doing before or something you've added to your routine? Uh, just workloads, I think. Uh, you know, they real efficient with what they do and uh, making the most out of their time and you know just getting ready for every start that they have. Hmm. And uh, yeah, going back to last year, first full season, first time pitching April to September. What was that ride like? You know, splitting time between Tampa and Trenton. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a good experience. Tampa was uh, Tampa was good, good weather, and then uh, I was lucky I got to miss the cold up north. <laughs> so I was kind of pumped about that. And then I, uh, the time I went up north, the weather was already good. But uh, it was just a long year. I I didn't throw as many innings as I was hoping to throw, but. Uh, you know, I was, stayed healthy the whole year, which was big. And mm. Didn't miss a start, so that was good. Uh, just kind of want to build off that year. Got my feet wet in Double A, and just hope to keep uh, climbing off that one last year. Yeah, and, and you moved up pretty quick. I mean, you were in Tampa for what six or seven starts, something like that. Yeah, I think it was about a month and a half. Right. So, did you even expect to move as quickly as you did? No, I, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I got to skip Charleston. Right. And uh, I didn't really know what the plan was. I just tried to control what I could, and then. You know, it was nice that they pushed me, and then I got to Double A and had a little bit of a hiccup there. But you know, better, better league, better hitters, and uh, just kind of didn't feel like I pitched as good as I could have. But uh, you know, I feel like I'm in a good spot right now to return there and see what I can do. Yeah, and you mentioned it was a little bit of a hiccup. Strikeout numbers are still there, Trenton. So, what, what did you take away from your time at Double A? Now people say that's when you really start to feel like you're close to the majors, but what did you take away from that experience? Double A? Yeah. Uh, just, you know, was, the hitters were uh, more advanced, you know. They're going to be more selective. You're gonna, they made me throw more pitches. That was probably the biggest thing. I, strikeouts were, uh, you could still get them, but they, uh, they were just, they had better approaches. And if you weren't 
on that day, they made you, uh, they definitely made you work harder. And uh, yeah, so what was your reaction to the Yankees extending a non-roster invite? Because I feel like you might have been one of the later ads on that. Yeah, uh, I found out like I think the day before uh, pitchers <laughs> reported over there. Oh, really? Yeah. So how quickly of a turnaround did you need to, to get down here then? Not bad. Uh, the pitching coordinator just, I was already down here, so okay. I was here for uh, just getting ready and then the pitching coordinator came up to my locker and he uh, told me the news. So I was pretty stoked about that. that yeah, was, there you go. That was cool. I got to just pack my bags up that afternoon and they, uh, they took them across the street for me and just got after it over there. Mm. What kind of instructions did they give you when they give you that news like that, especially that quick? You mean like when they told me? Yeah. They just said congratulations, man. Go make, go have fun and oh, okay. keep doing what you've been doing. All right. Yeah, and I think one thing that stands out, anybody who's ever watched a pitch, is the extension you get on your pitches. Where did that come from? Where did that kind of develop? You, from your delivery. Uh, yeah. My delivery, I just try to be efficient, get as close as I can to home plate, uh, mm -hmm. give the hitters less time to see the ball. And uh, I know I'm zoned in when uh, – you know, velocity might not be there, but the hitters are still late on the, uh, the pitches. Right. So. Yeah, but how do you kind of take that feedback? I mean, do, do you know going into the bullpen what your stuff is going to be like that day, or do you solely rely you on that? You have an idea, but some, you know, you're, uh, I feel like I know I'm at my best when uh, you, know, you kind of can miss with the pitch and then you foul it off and they're late on it versus, you know, if they uh, turn it on a fastball on your mistakes. So you can get away with more mistakes, I guess, when, uh, you know, you're giving the hitters less time to see the ball. And one thing for you, as is the case with so many uh, starters in the minor leagues, is trying to develop a third pitch, trying to develop a changeup. Yeah. How is that coming along? What are you doing to, to make that a viable third option? Uh, just throwing it a lot more, honestly. Changeups, I feel like uh, just trusting it, visualizing it. I know I throw better changeups left on, to lefties than I do right on right. Mm -hmm. uh, right on right changeup needs some work, but uh, you know, just trusting it, getting the reps in, especially out here in spring training before uh, the games get for real, obviously. Right. And, uh, just getting it to where you feel comfortable throwing it when you pull it out in the season whenever you need it. Yeah, and why do you think it is more effective against lefties than righties? Uh, just tails away, I guess, from the lefties, you know? Mm -hmm. Lefties are, uh, you know, fastball kind of runs that way, and then the changeup just tunneling off that. But uh, I think it's more visualization. Just I struggle to... Uh, Know, put it somewhere in the zone. I either pull them or leave them up an arm side to righties. But uh, just adjusting my sights and bearing down and making a pitch when it counts. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, it's kind of two parts, but I'll ask the first one. You were mostly a first baseman in high school, right? Did I, did yeah, I about I that, right? third and first. Third and first. All right, so first, you get to see a lot of pro hitting now. How do you think you would do as a pro hitter if you had gotten a chance? I'd be out of baseball right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I'd be playing, that's for sure. Uh, and hitting's hard. There, uh, there's some good hitters out here. I went to junior college as a hitter and crossover as a pitcher. And uh, just first month hitting in junior college, I maybe could have belonged. I don't know, but uh, the hitters were a lot better there. Good to be in a DH league, I guess now. Yeah, <laughs> be no, a yeah. DH organization. I wouldn't mind picking up the bat for fun like that, but uh, yeah, it's definitely good. I'm enjoying the pitcher only life. Yeah, and you mentioned the junior college route. Um, when did you feel like you could be a pro pitcher? especially coming in as a hitter like you did? Uh, when? I guess freshman year, honestly. I uh, just started throwing off the mound. I remember some scouts taking taking notice and sending me some questionnaires. So, you know, I thought that was cool. I didn't know what to do, you know. Just right. kind of like shocked 
that uh, some of those questionnaires were showing up in my locker, <laughs> big league teams, which was cool. But I guess that was like really the first time that I thought maybe I have a chance at playing this game past college. Mm. So that was cool. So it was more the outside influence and the outside feedback than it was anything you saw in yourself that was really made. No, like I, I mean, I believe I, if I stuck to what I was doing, my training and all that, I had a chance. But uh, yeah, just seeing like outside feedback too is kind of that was cool. And what did you do that last year at Arkansas to make yourself into one of the top draft picks? What did I do? I yeah. just uh, I've been using the same routine that I've had since uh, high school. I've trained with Kevin Bernie over in Houston. Mm -hmm. That's been great for me. And then uh, I haven't had to adjust much since Pro Bowl. Honestly, I've been doing the same thing now for four or five years and it's it's been working so and what is your kind of mindset you know like we said coming off double a coming off the major league camp knowing 2019 it's possible that you could be up there um you know how close does it really feel the major leagues yeah it's uh, it's definitely a realistic possibility but i have to you know focus on start to start and uh you know i just have to control what i can and uh, i know if i do the things i can then who knows what the rest happens, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see what I can do. And when you're up there, do they talk about what a major league debut could feel like? I mean, so many people say you don't know until you're there when you're surrounded by guys who have had that feeling. How do you kind of visualize what that may be? Uh, no, I just kind of, I really don't. You hear some people talk about it, how it's just awesome experience. They soak it in and, and uh, just making sure the moment doesn't get too big, I guess. But, uh no, I don't know. We'll, uh, hopefully one day I get to figure that out. Yeah, cross that bridge when, yeah. when you come to it. Um, one thing that stands out about the Yankees organization is so many young pitchers at the lower levels. What is the competitiveness in camp like as a young pitcher, somebody who's trying to force your way and try to stand out amongst so many live arms? Yeah, I mean, this is a great organization, I think, uh, as far as pitching goes. There's a lot of uh, talented guys here. Hmm. And... Uh, you know, just going out and competing against them too. So we, a lot of times we play inner squads, whatever it may be, playing catch, you know, just being around uh, better competition kind of elevates your game. And you want to you wanna be the best with who you're playing with, who you're playing against, so it's fun. Is there anything you've taken from some other pitcher you've seen here and, and implemented into your game? Uh, just kind of like talking pitch grips, you know, just here and there, like a routine, whatever they do. You know, just seeing what uh, all of them got good ideas, you know, and just mm. seeing what works for you and then going from there. And uh, one thing that stood out, again, about that last year in Arkansas and then last year was your strikeout rate. You usually average at least a strikeout per inning. How much do you look at strikeouts as kind of the definition of success for you? Uh, I feel like it's not it doesn't define your, all your success. Uh, I know I'm a swing. I try to get swing and misses. You know, that's what I – I go for. I don't really try to pitch the contact. Okay. Uh, so I know when I'm striking people out, things are good. But uh, you know, I, I feel like I get a decent amount of fly balls too, which is uh, can be a good thing. And or you know, but uh, just trying to you know just go out there and compete really. All right. And when you look forward to 2019, you mentioned you know being so close, but predict going to September, October, and you're looking back. What would you? define a good, successful 2019 season? Like, uh, making my debut. That's like my big goal this year. Mm. Uh, you know, I just got to do the right things and then uh, see what happens as the year progresses. Is there anything you're targeting to kind of round it out and, and show major league readiness? Just, uh, you know, I feel like double A, I definitely ran into some uh, road bumps last year. And, you know, I think I got to go out there this year and just 
kind of work on what I uh, did last year, develop the third pitch for sure. Mm. You know, be more consistent with that, and then uh, get deeper into ball games. I think that'd be a big thing. And then uh, who knows what happens? Whatever they do. Mm. And mentioned you're a Houston guy you went to school in Arkansas have you been in New York City yet can you imagine what that would yeah, be like played, to play I played in Staten Island my first uh, oh there you go first in so like right we would take the ferry over on off days and just go walk around see all the things New York had to offer so I've been, I've been there a couple times do you have a favorite spot uh no we just kind of did all the tourist stuff you right know? yeah it was cool uh, but other than that uh, I mean, can't beat the ferry. I love the ferry. Yeah, the I ferry, live in Brooklyn, right? so yeah, I get the ferry's, I, gets fun. ferry's free. It goes past Statue of Liberty, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, so this is the last one. This is actually going to be for our 200th episode, which is pretty cool for us. It's got a little bit of a milestone. We started in May 2015. What were you doing in May 2015, and how have you changed as a pitcher, as a person? How are you going to find that almost four years ago? Four years ago, I was in Hillsboro, Texas. It's <laughs> a little truck stop town off. Just a little north of Waco, off I-35, and I was probably out on a practice field grinding in some Texas heat. Yeah, there you go. And here you are now and grinding in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. No Benjamin Hill this week. Um, ben has been a stalwart through our 200 episodes of the show before the show podcast, so our apologies that we won't get to bring you uh, a conversation with Ben, but... It is episode 200. We feel like we should do something to commemorate the fact that for some reason they've continued to pay us to do this uh, podcast for going on four full years. Now, actually, over four full years now because I think we started it in uh, – now, maybe it was April, actually, of, uh, of 2015. I could go back and look, but that seems like a lot I, of work to type in a, a URL. Well, I mean, it was May 2015 because that's – May of 2015. Right. Oh, wow. It, as okay. everybody who just heard the interview is yelling right now into their pod devices, that was the question I asked Trevor Stephan at the end of the interview is, what were you doing? Oh. And, uh, yeah, when he says, like, <laughs> I was just in, in the middle of the Texas heat, and that was before he went to junior college, before he went to Arkansas, you're just like, oh, cool, 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 cool. And now here you are already at double A. Uh, Are you sure it was May? Because it the the episode says Tyler Mon and Jake Siner discussed their spring training treks. Why would we have done that? Anymore? Oh, let me check. Somebody somebody bamboozled. Well, the, I could have swore I checked the uh... the podcast feed. Yeah. Who knows? Nobody cares. It's not a big deal. It's, the two of us are the only, and maybe the ghost of Jake Siner, are the only people that care. Um, Jake Siner, by the way, uh, if you no longer, um, if you haven't kept up with uh, our old buddy Jake, Jake's now a member of the Associated Press, and uh, he was in the media scrum the other day with Felix Hernandez at Mariners camp, which got very awkward uh, when they were asking Felix about uh, being passed over as the opening day starter for the Mariners. And that was, uh, seemed a little uncomfortable. Uh, And Jake, of course, handled it as a, as a professional. Um, But yeah, that seemed, uh, seemed like an awkward conversation to have to have going back in the, uh, in the feed, by the way, looks like the first episode that you can get on iTunes is uh, is episode number eight, which is May 21st of 2015. So that's why, which means there are seven. This is like the director's cut. There are seven episodes that evidently you can only find at MILB.com slash podcast. I don't know why those wouldn't. That's be weird. There. That is very weird. Drama. Yeah. No, that makes a lot more sense huh. now. Um, Strange. Well, now we the know. lost days. Now we is know. that what? The, 
<laughs> the lost tapes the milb.com podcast uh but we did want to talk about uh our run through 200 episodes of this show and unfortunately for all of you all 200 of them have contained me um there have not been nearly enough sam dykeser or jake signer episodes but uh we are at 200 a nice round number and we wanted to talk about some of our time doing this show um sam give me some of your some of your memories of the first 200 episodes of well show. i just remember the beginning and what we when we were trying to figure out what this was going to be exactly um yeah and sam was very hands-on even though sam was not on the show uh as one of our uh hosts right out of the gate sam was very much a part of the creation of the show was on the show for several episodes early on um as a guest where we would talk about things that he wrote so sam's been in this since episode number one yeah I don't know if I was in that first episode, but I, I do remember every once in a while just being like brought into a room with Jake and just being like, hey, do you want to talk about your recent story? Blindfolded. <laughs> it had no windows. It was like the room in the born identity. Yeah, it was just like, how does this work? He's like, just speaking to the micro. <laughs> this microphone? Yes, this microphone. Uh, yeah, but I, I remember we were trying to figure out what the name of the show was going to be um floating around a bunch of yeah. ideas and then it just got settled on the show before the show which i think was just like that was one of my suggestions yeah it was just too perfect I, I will forever take pride in that i actually did not come up with it but uh it was suggested to me and then i suggested it and so i'll take full credit. oh of course i mean that's that's how creative work works right <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly um ask ask mark zuckerberg <laughs> Now I'm trying to think of what our Aaron Sorkin uh, Oscar film would be called. But anyway, um, but the, so, yeah, but then we developed the idea for three strikes. The, just the idea of, you know, most podcasts kind of have a here's where we're going to talk about what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we always knew that there was going to be a guest because we alone can't be a draw as as big as our egos are. No, God, no. Um, God, no. You know, we, we can't be what's going to bring you guys into the show each week. We want to bring you into the world of minor league baseball and who better to do that than the people who are uh, playing the sport every day, coaching the sport every day, interacting in the sport somehow. Or, you know, when Ben has a guest on, um, you know, running the sport behind the scenes. Um, so we want to bring that to you. We want to bring the news to you. We want to bring our own touches with it as well. Um, and, you know, this was kind of a fun way of doing it at the start. And uh, I, I think it was more succinct at the beginning, to be honest with you. Is that probably right? I feel like the first couple of episodes were like 40, 44 minutes. That could be. I know uh, Brendan DeRocher is our former um, fearless leader at uh, this side of the MILB game. Uh, he's moved on to a different role these days inside the – well, now it's not even part of – anyway, he's got a different job. Um, <laughs> Brendan, I know at the outside of the podcast, we first started doing episodes that were like an hour long, and he was like, let's try to make it more like 30 to 45 minutes. It's like a good commute time for people. We just never, we were never able to get it down around there on average. But yeah, I think you're right. I think for a while we were like closer to 50 minutes, and then now it's just we've had, <laughs> we've had like hour and 10 minute shows. Like I mean, I think that speaks more to the idea of what podcasts are now. Like everybody, yeah, yeah that's probably true. It, that was, I mean, that was four years ago when we started this show, and that is an eternity, especially in this medium, which still I don't think anybody really knows what it is. My for anybody who really knows much of anything about me one of my heroes in life is conan o'brien and conan describes it on his new podcast is radio is back <laughs> that's what podcasts are now which is like kind of true but it's also i don't know it's very it's very weird it's uh we're all still kind of blindly trying to figure out what exactly this is supposed no, to be I, as a i think radio is back is a great way of putting it just because 
you know, it used to be, and I used to be meaning like when I was in high school, that it wasn't very long ago. Um, we listened to, you know, the drive time radio show every morning. It was rock one Oh two in, in Springfield. It was Bax and O'Brien and you knew their bits, you knew what they were doing, but you liked spending time with them. Uh, you know, my job was to paint apartments and to have those two guys with you alongside you just made the morning more fun. That's what podcasts are. It's, you know, we're there for you on your commute, on your run, uh, just sitting around the house, cleaning dishes, whatever you're doing. Um, you know, we're radio we can take with you, but you're buying into it. It's not just what's on the station. Um, you're choosing to download it. And, you know, again, we, we say this every week, but thank you for choosing to download it. It is much more of an active activity than just turning the dial and seeing what's happened to be playing over the radio waves. Um, this is something you guys are seeking out or we're bringing to you in some way uh, and you're buying in, which is really, really neat. And seeing that aspect of it has been cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you need to find a way to deliver the news in a way that people are going to be used to, that they're going to feel comfortable in, that they're going to enjoy. Uh, and in that way, I think we have kind of fluctuated over the years. I remember at one point I tried to do interviews where we ended in trivia sections. Um, I did that once with Sean Newcomb. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't exactly end well, not in a bad way. He didn't, he wasn't upset. It was just like, (laughs) it ended with a physical altercation. Sam got beat up. by No, I mean, no, Sean Newcomb passed me by in the locker room. And if he wanted to do that, it would not take very much. Um, but he, you know, he was a Massachusetts guy like I am. So I asked him like Boston Braves questions and he just didn't know it. And I don't blame him. And I kind of put them on the spot on that. So we've kind of phased out of that. But we still try to have fun with our interview uh, subjects and, you know, try to end on good notes and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think we got to try to personalize those more. We, we ask them more uh, things if we've dug up something kind of goofy about uh, them, their personality or their past or something funny that happened to them. I think we try to we try to end on that stuff now, which always seems to go. Over and one well. thing, one reason we do that is a, it's just more fun for us. It's more fun for them. But, um, you know, that's how you develop relationships to kind of take you guys behind the curtain. Um, you know, these are minor leaguers. A lot of them we're going to be around for years to come, not just in the minor leagues and the major leagues. And, uh you know, one of the best parts of my week in this job is right after we finish an interview, a lot of these guys say that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. It's great speaking to you guys, talk to you guys soon, um, because we are going to talk to these guys soon. We're going to talk to them after they throw seven no hit innings or after they have a three homer game or something. Um, so using this as a way to kind of foster those relationships, get to know guys a little bit more, having them get to know us a little bit more and who we are when we can ask longer questions and go a little bit deeper is really, really neat. And it's, it's been a really fantastic outlet for that kind of stuff. Um, by the way, I thought that, uh, that it was, so I've had two co-hosts on this podcast. First off, I guess I should say, I do think there was one episode, um, in which I did not appear and that's good for all of you. But remember the time when you and Ben and Kelsey went to a game in Brooklyn? I don't think I was on that one. I think I just you did produce that one. I think I got the producer credit. I don't think I was on yes. there for that one. So thank God you all haven't had to listen to me for two. And it's not just two hundred episodes, by the way. We had the uh, the one special edition episode when the Braves got the hammer laid down on the uh, the international uh, signing infractions. So we've actually last week, I guess technically, was episode two hundred. Ooh, now it's 
now it's great. There's seven episodes you can't get on iTunes. Now we're slotting in mystery episodes. It's madness. But I kind of thought that um, it was, uh, well, I should put it this way. Jake Siner was with us for only 19 episodes. Uh, Sam has been with us since episode 20. And I really thought that this was going to be a hilarious comparison that I can make in which Jake was the Janet Hubert of this show. Sam is the Daphne Reed of this show. And you're saying, who are those people? They're the two actresses who played Vivian Banks on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> um, but apparently Janet Hubert was in half of the episode. She was there for the first three seasons. And then the second Aunt Viv was there for the last three seasons. I thought she was there for like one and a half. And then the second Aunt Viv came on and took it the rest of the way. But apparently they split it basically evenly. So that shows me. <laughs> um, but... That was a long way to go for not a whole lot of payoff <laughs> on uh, on that. But I think the the thing that's been interesting is like when you look back on the the prospects that we've talked to, I think we've hit on a lot of these guys. I remember, uh, you know, early on, I think our third episode uh, was a story about Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo. I had a, a story on those two in which I talked to their fathers. They grew up together playing high school uh, or playing uh, Little League ball together um, in the Las Vegas area. And this is a story, I'm certainly not taking credit for this, but this is a story that talked about launch angle and, you know, getting lift on the ball and trying to hit home runs and all that type of stuff back in 2015 when those conversations were really in their infancy. But we talked with those guys um, pretty early on and talked about that pretty early on. Episode seven, we had a conversation with Dan Radisson, who was a Corpus Christi Hooks uh, hitting coach about Carlos Correa. We talked to Lucas Giolito in episode nine. Uh, we talked with uh, Garrett Whitley from the draft in episode 11, Tuki Toussaint discussed Discussion in episode 13 which was about his trade brent honeywell joined us in episode 14 we've had some of these guys i mean as far back as our earliest 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 episodes trevor story was episode 22 sam and i talked with dansby swanson episode number 24 um so that's pretty cool like we've gotten to talk to so many players who have gone on to do big things um and it's sort of rare that you look back on a, an episode in which we featured somebody and we just haven't heard about them since episode 27 was blake snell that's one of my favorite uh, episodes. brandon nimmo was episode, that was one of the best and blake snell will forever be maybe my favorite interview in this job um and i i sent him a, a message on twitter after he won the cy young and uh said you know i remember the very first time i talked to you in bowling green feeling like no nah, this kid's gonna make it and he, me he messaged me back it was like i remember that conversation too and i think basically in effect said i wasn't quite as sure as you were and now he's got a cy young on his on his mantle but um it's it's pretty neat to look back on all those players um some of the ones that really stand out to me uh we talked with mike hessman and mike hessman was kind of notoriously not tough with the media but i think you know you get to a stage late in your career where you're going to be known you know i think the crash davis uh story arc in bull durham really laid it out pretty accurately that you're going to be known as the minor league home run king and as kevin costner put it it's sort of a dubious distinction uh but mike hessman who retired as the all-time home run king in minor league baseball really could not have been more gracious on that episode of the show um i love getting a chance on episode 43 to talk with todd radom who's a graphic designer who redesigned the southern league and the appalachian league um but we talked about this whole span of him 
designing logos and and things for teams and for leagues and for special events for baseball and all that type of stuff uh wilson Contreras, i remember back in 2015 uh we talked with him that was one of our first conversations with uh, a prospect a latino prospect who had uh the ability to tell us what it was like to be a guy growing up having to learn english in a system the way he wanted to communicate with his pitchers all that type of stuff and then he's in the big leagues winning a world series doing all that um it's it's really neat to go back through some of these and look at these guys who oh yeah that guy alex bregman was on episode 60 and uh you know kyle lewis who's still making a climb he was episode 64 you can tell that i'm just scrolling (laughs) by the way on milb.com slash podcast but it's it's pretty cool we've got a chance to really do some some really neat things with yeah and it it it's been broad too. It's not just top prospect after top prospect after last pro- yeah. prospect. We try to mix in managers uh, to get a different perspective. Um, we try to mix in like Ben esque interviews as well. Um, his he led the the way on this one, but the whole Meyer League songs is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. And I feel oh, that was another special. Yeah, edition. I feel like people should be continuously downloading that like every. That's an evergreen yeah. episode. Maybe we should just like yeah. drop that into the feed every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, just like, it. hey, you may have forgotten about this for the last four months. Here That's it is again. Idea. Maybe we'll do that next week, actually, when I'm back in the office. But um, yeah, when, again, just going up through the podcast feed with you, Tyler. Number 108 was John Borman, who you probably don't remember yeah. John Borman. I mean, not Tyler. I know you remember, but like you at home probably don't remember John Borman. Uh, he was a catcher with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization at the time had just made it to class A advanced, not much to it, but he was somebody who was playing in Bradenton. I think the Pirates are in Florida. They needed a, an emergency in Miami, right? They need an emergency catcher. They call up John Borman. He gets to be on the 40 man for like a day, uh, 25 man for a day. Uh, and we got him right away for that. And those are the types of minor league stories that you're not going to hear very often. You might, you know, Teams might get him or beat reporters might get him for a little bit in the clubhouse afterwards, you know, three, four minute snippets. We get him for 15 minutes. We can go a little bit deeper, really get the inside story on it. Uh, You get to hear it, him tell it in his own voice. You get to hear the excitement in his voice. Talk about what it was like to drive across the entire Sunshine State, which I'm going to do later this week. And I might not have as much excitement as he did. But that aside, (laughs) uh yeah, you know, th- that's the great thing about this medium, too, is you get to hear these guys in their own voices. They're not just quotes on a page. Um, they're different accents. They're different in times. Like you mentioned, Willie Damas or Wilson Contreras, they're different languages. Um, and, you know, we're trying to just weave our way through the tapestry of minor league baseball uh, just in an audio form. And it's been really cool to do that. I remember John Borman telling us that, like, he arrived at the uh, at the parking lot and he had no idea what to do. And he had to ask the security guy, like, I got called up. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I'm a player. <laughs> Marlins Bark in yeah, Miami. You meet um, I'm supposed to be here, I guess. Um, I remember back in uh, – I think it was somewhere in the in the 50s in the episodes. But we had the, uh, the episode 51 
the uh, very first uh, female strength and conditioning coach in uh, all minor league baseball, and that was Rachel Balkovic of the Houston Astros organization. That was a really cool conversation that we got a chance to have. Um, the the people that we've talked to around the business side, um, you know, we've had groundskeepers on and uh, player development people on, obviously, and general managers and promotions people, and um, we got to dive into a little bit of WBC stuff back in 2017. We had Jerry Weinstein on. Uh, he had just managed his Israel in the World Baseball Classic in 2017 and was headed to double a Hartford uh to do that season in the in the Rockies organization um the some of the guys that I think really stand out are the guys who have had to suffer through two interviews with us because our recording equipment didn't work um and we will forever be in debt I think it was Carson, it was Carson Kelly, Kelly wasn't yes. it yeah, Carson Kelly, and that was episode 92. Uh, Carson Kelly calls in. We do this great interview. We're rolling. He's got jokes telling us all this cool stuff about, you know, the little black book of catching notes that he keeps and all this fascinating stuff. And this is one of the rare episodes when I was in New York and got a chance to record this with Sam in a conference room. And we hang up the call, and the program did not record it. So we had to call back and do the entire interview over again. And he could not have been cooler about it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, this has been pretty cool, man. I feel very lucky to, uh, to be able to do something like this. And for all of you who have, who've engaged with us and I got a a tweet from somebody the other day, who's was a, a fan who I met at White Sox camp, uh, last year, him and his son, and he was listening to the episode a couple weeks ago, and we said, like, hey, let us know if you're going to be in camp. And he said, yeah, I think we're going to be there at the same time. And so, uh, you know, just that type of stuff to be able to actually, like, meet and talk with people and you know just share baseball with people um is really cool and we've had some really meaningful conversations on this show too i know uh, episode 124 we talked with chris singleton uh this is a chicago cubs prospect whose mother was lost in the uh the shooting in uh charleston south carolina um and the murders there and and chris singleton i mean what an incredible kid uh to get a chance to have a conversation with uh who by the way I think we talked about this the other day, was married on national television uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, good for him. Kind of a cool and and random thing. Good for him. Uh, But uh, Anthony Alford joined us from Mexico. Uh, He was doing Winter League stuff. That was episode 137. That was a cool one to get a chance to talk to somebody while they were actually in the process of doing Winter League work. Uh, Not something that we often get a chance to go through. I was really – I cannot believe – this is half the podcasts ago, but I guess it makes sense. One of my favorite ones that we ever did is This Minor League Life, and that was episode 101, which uh, I guess every two years now we know we're going to roll through 100 episodes, which 52 weeks a year, when you do one just about every week, the math adds up. Um, but we patterned that after This American Life, and that was just a fun one to put together. Um, this has been pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, cool. no, it, it, I mean, it sounds like we're just rummaging through like the bin of podcasts and just pull, Which we yeah, kind of are. But, but and pulling out like, oh, this is neat. But like, it is kind of like, <laughs> oh, remember this one? But still, I mean, yeah. It's, it, yeah. I would recommend anybody doing this with anything in your life, like what you've done for four years. Like, yeah, this is part of our jobs. This is what we do. It's sometimes a thing we just do on Wednesdays. Um, but when you look at the large, and I'm going to use this word again, tapestry of what this podcast has been. Um, and the, you know, we get lost in the minutia and the micro, but on the macro, what we've been able to present is something we're really proud of. Um, we're, we're really grateful because this is your podcast as well. Some of the suggestions we get, um, 
some of the things you guys want to talk about, um, you know, that comes through in the show as well. We try to make that happen. Uh, every time Ben comes back from a trip and says like, oh, I met somebody who listens to the podcast uh, is one of my best parts of this job. Um, so, yeah, even taking this look back has been really neat and can't wait to, to do it again when we hit 300 and we're talking about. I don't even know who we're going to talk to in the next 100 episodes, but based on what we've talked to in the last 200, it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's going to be really neat, and it's something we're all going to be very proud of. One thing uh, before we wrap this up, do you remember who your first interview was? Evidently on episode 20, we did not have an interview because it was uh, a re-ranking of the top 100 that we broke down at the mid-season point on episode 20. Episode 21, we had an interview without looking – do you remember oh who no! Was? Can you give me a hint? Um, not a player, and not even technically from the minor league side. He's in the major league commission. Oh, office. Billy Bean. Yeah, Billy Bean, Major League Baseball's then ambassador of inclusion. Now he's got a fancy title that has vice president, I think, in it of uh, of something. And uh, Billy Bean. That was after uh, Milwaukee Brewers prospect David Denson came out as gay, and we talked with Billy Bean about um, you know kind of his job, uh, what the the role of ambassador of inclusion actually involved at that point. And it was still a, a process of, I think, kind of trying to define that. Um, he was only, I believe, a year into that job at that point uh, with Major League Baseball. Um, but that was a really cool conversation. I remember the first prospect interview that we had on the show was episode number four. It was Mark Appel, the former first overall pick of the Houston Astros. Um, Mark Appel talked so long in that in that conversation. I'm not kidding you. I think it was like 40 minutes, the call that we did, uh, me and Jake Siner and Mark Appel. I had to cut like 20 minutes of that conversation out. Um, and it was like, I remember sitting in my apartment three o'clock in the morning, editing this show, trying to figure out what I was going to dump from this conversation with Mark Appel and thinking like, is this going to be every week? <laughs> Are these guys all going to do 40 minute phone calls? And it wasn't like, oh, we just kept asking him questions. It was like Mark Appel would take an answer and he would run for 10 minutes with it, which I very much liked about Mark Appel. He was always a great interview. Uh, but yeah, thankfully they have, uh, They've generally been of a bite-sized uh, portion for most of our conversations. Um, one more thing uh, before we wrap this up. One thing that I find fun to do with podcasts like this, obviously I don't do it with this one, but you can go back through our past episodes and one of the easiest ways to do it, if you go to MILB.com slash podcast, you hit you know the old control F and just type in your favorite team. Go back and dig up some of the, the interviews of prospects um, that we talk to who are you know now on your team or guys who you uh, you know are, are interested to hear about. If you you know wish, oh, uh, you know, Brent Honeywell back in 2015 I wonder what his conversation was like well that was episode 14 and it's kind of fun to go back and listen to just how different things were at the early stages of these guys careers um, I remember after after Blake Snell won the Cy Young last year I went back through and listened to his whole interview because I thought I had a memory of him saying like you know ultimately I'd like to win a Cy Young someday he didn't he said he would like to be an all-star and he accomplished that last year also but it's kind of neat so go and go and do yeah that. If you have right. time. And, and one thing that you, you know. will do if you do that, no matter what team you're a fan of, you will find somebody there. Um, that yeah. We have covered all 30 major league organizations. Multiple, multiple times. times. We have a running spreadsheet yeah. of when's the last time we have we talked to a player from an organization. And Same yeah, I try to keep it updated and um, make sure that teams are that we haven't talked about in a while. We will get their next interesting prospect in there um, just so 
you know, it's always fresh and we're not repeating organizations. That's going to happen. It's just the nature of the job. Um, but, you know, we're, when we can, we're trying to get all the organizations represented and talked about and talked to, as it were. Um, so, yeah, no matter who you're a fan of, you're going to find something in the archives and you're going to find somebody uh, coming up here very shortly if you haven't heard somebody in a while. And there you have it. And in uh, in heartfelt tribute to Brendan DeRochers, who was the, the man behind getting this thing launched, this episode is going to be way over an hour. <laughs> we apologize, Brendan. Um, but no, our, our sincerest thanks, as always, to you for tuning in over these last uh, four years. And, of course, Sam, my biggest thanks to you for always sticking with me through 180 episodes together now, which is absurd. If you think about the amount of time that you and I have spent talking on Skype over the last I know, years. right? Yeah. Oh, boy. But the, it, the – yeah, something. but even then, we've talked in Denver, we've talked in New York, we've talked from Florida. We've, yeah, we don't get sick of yeah, each no, other. No, we, we still do this every week. That's, that's this is, everything you guys yeah, are hearing is true. fully natural. There is no <laughs> hanging up the phone and be like, all right, bum, I'll see you later. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not uh, one of those tortured creative duos. Not yet. You know, we're, we're not John and Paul toward the end. Or Maybe at some point. We can aspire. Yeah, who's the Simon and who's the Garfunkel? We'll have to. <laughs> we can aspire to hating each other's guts at some point. By the time we wrap this thing up, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get there. No, absolutely not. But you can get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. Should we just wrap this yeah. up now? I feel like we've just rambled for so long. Yeah, no, long. I think we should. Uh, we might as well. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, oh yeah, because it's like 11 o'clock at night mm-hmm. there. Go to bed, mm-hmm. Sam. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. We will talk to you next week. Bye.